This is a uh, presentation regarding physical or occupational therapy in the clinic, not psychological therapy. So if you're here wanting to know about psychological therapy, that becomes part of it, but it's not the main uh, thought today. So um, welcome and thank you for the opportunity. I want to say thank you to um, Will Rogers and the other people on staff that put this in as a part of the part of the course uh, opportunities here. So um, first thing I'd like to know is what my audience is. So I know I've seen some of you already down at, at the uh, exhibit hall and in our allied health meeting. But um, so who's a PT or OT practicing right now? Okay. Who is a PT or OT student? Okay. That pretty much covers most of it, I think. Anybody else? P P COTA? Huh? PTA. Okay, great. Awesome. Okay, so um, we're going to spend some time. Uh, the main part of my presentation is regarding this topic, but I think there's some other things we can talk about afterwards. The hour after this is scheduled to be an hour of reflection and prayer, so... There's not another workshop to get off to, and we can maybe spend a few minutes just discussing kind of some of the things we talked about in the Allied Health uh, meeting regarding um, where we're going with Allied Health and membership and all of those kind of things with CMDA and, and other opportunities. Can everybody hear me okay? Or Okay. There's a microphone here, so um, let me know if you can't. Uh, so I'll be reaching over here. So um, this is who I am. Um, I tell people I graduated in the 1900s uh, from PT school at Northwestern Chicago. Um, my experience has been mostly in outpatient orthopedics um, and some industrial medicine, some athletic training. Um, I've been, I was credentialed by the McKen in the McKenzie approach uh, in 1999. We'll talk about that. And... Uh, I went on my first trip with Global Health Outreach in 2004 and realized when I came back from that that allied health and particularly PT and OT was being kind of ignored at that point. And that's, you know, 11 years ago. And we're still working on trying to bring uh, a better appreciation for what uh, PT, OT can do on a, a short-term missions trip. So my focus has been short-term, and I've uh, been to the Dominican Republic 12 times with GHO, so I can speak to the general aspects of that. Um, I don't uh, have experience in other countries. Uh, the main reason for that is that uh, <clears throat> in 2004, when I started, my daughter started going with me on those trips, and then after three trips, she stayed down there as a teacher and met her future husband. So now we have a Dominican husband. They live in Wisconsin with us, <coughs> and so... That is why I continue to go back to the DR because I have relatives there now. So um, uh, there's, there's a lot to be said about continuing consistent uh, support and uh, attendance in trips with the same group, going back to, say, the same, working with the same people. We seldom, we've never really seen the same patient load, but uh, we go back working with the same church. Our team is always a little bit different, although our leadership is usually the same each year. So that's why I keep going to the DR. There's some people saying, well, look at all these other trips that don't have a PT. Why don't you do that? I still work for a living. I have limited vacation and limited resources for paying for those trips. So that's where I'm at right now. Please feel free to stop me at any point if you have any questions. So I have no uh, nothing to gain by any of the products or things that I'm mentioning today. So just want to make sure you understand that. So the problem we have is that there's a shortage of PT and OT on short-term medical trips uh, to provide services and, and treatment for musculoskeletal disorders and rehabilitation. There's some objectives that we're going to accomplish today. I'm not going to go through these uh, in great detail because we'll be fleshing them out in the presentation. These presentations are going to be available on the website, so if you need to look back at anything, you don't have to take tons of notes today. But we will uh, be going over uh, equipment, supplies, uh, how the clinic functions, how to prepare, um, and those types of things. Dynamics of working with other medical professionals. 
<clears throat> so you're going to, when you get done with this, you should have some ideas of how to prepare, um, what kind of working conditions, what type of patients you might be seeing, um, and the different types of trips that are available that PTs and OTs can attend. So the first question to answer, I think, is um, who are you going to go with? And uh, I think you need to do some research on this, find out what organization, uh, first of all, fits the type of practice that I want to do, allows me to practice as a therapist, because I've heard a lot of stories about therapists who go on trips and then they end up building things or they end up helping in the pharmacy or whatever. And I think you need to, if you're going to use your skills, you need to go on a model that's going to allow you to do that. So that's one of the things. The, uh, you, want, you want to go on a team that um, presents the gospel uh, and that it's not just a medical clinic if that's what you're interested in. Um, and one of the things about the GHO model that I'll talk about is how that gospel is presented. Uh, the clinic models, the other thing, uh, do they have follow-up? Are there um, things that you can do to um, encourage uh, carry over to the things that you're doing in the clinic? You know, what are, what are those kind of things available? Um, <clears throat> so, again, can I practice with my specialty? Um, we talked a little bit in the Allied Health meeting about how you're going to be a therapist who will be challenged in many different things that you are not necessarily used to treating. And you just kind of go back to your, your education, your training, your experience to apply the physical therapy, occupational therapy principles to a patient, even though you may not be specialized in that area. Uh, is there a strong plan for sharing the gospel? Are you working closely in a partnership with a local church or other group that's in country? both for spiritual and for medical follow-up. Again, these are the things that you start to think about uh, when you're picking a group to go with. Uh, so ideally, this is what we would like, that the therapist would be a part of the team leaders and that you'd be responsible for musculoskeletal treatment. Um, if you don't have another PT and you're the only PT or OT on the on the uh, trip, you're going to be the musculoskeletal specialist, the therapy rehab specialist. Most of the medical doctors won't know anything about what you're going to try to accomplish, um, and so they're going to come to you and hopefully send you patients that are going to be appropriate and people that you can help. Um, in our model, there's a uh, when we have a therapist, ideally what we try to do is get that therapist to be the recruiter for Equipment, supplies, we'll talk about how we do that. And so if you choose to do that, then that's a bigger job in preparation for trying to get your team to bring down as many pieces of equipment and supplies as possible. And, of course, uh, if you have other therapists going along, then you can share, share the load along the way as well. So once you get to in, settled in the clinic situation, you need to work with the team leader to establish how is the therapist going to be utilized on the trip. Sometimes this will take education that you need to sit down with the other medical providers on your team. Uh, some of them don't refer regularly to therapy, so they don't really understand what kind of patients you can see and what kind of people you can help. Um, once you get going on the trip or once you've been on a few trips uh, with certain providers or if they've had therapists before, they'll kind of know the niche of the type of patient that needs to go to you and not to the medical doctor possibly. So in our, in our situation, my wife is a nurse and she's a triage. She heads the triage in our team. And so she understands when somebody comes in with a certain type of condition or issue that they need to find the therapist who can assist with that situation. And that the doctors probably, unless there's a medical issue, wouldn't even be consulted. So that, the dynamics of that, um, you need to clear that with your medical providers. So that you have an under, they have an understanding of what you're going to be doing. You have an understanding of what you're going to be doing and what the relationship is as far as referral back and forth. So if you see something that you know is outside your realm of treatment, then you need to be able to send that person back to the doctor just like you would in your normal practice. How many work in direct access right now? 
interesting one. Okay. There's an evolution of that in the United States right now. But Okay, so uh, prior to the trip, uh, then the PT, let's say you're going to go on a team and you've got 45 people going on your team and you're the only therapist or you're one of a couple of therapists. And so you're going to get organized on uh, your four to six months out from your trip and now you're going to start to plan. What are we going to do? What kind of clinic are we going to run? What can we get down there to be helping uh, people? And so um, what we have generally in our model is that the pay, uh, the, everybody carries uh, a carry-on and a suitcase of their own supplies, and then the second bag can be medicines, PT supplies, whatever you can get on the plane as a second check bag. So that's what the therapist is basically working with to recruit other people on the team who aren't taking medicine already to take some sort of piece of equipment, a suitcase with PT braces and other types of supplies. So um, you can be responsible, as we've talked talk through this today, you can understand how do I go about getting my team to gather those items and be able to uh, take them for travel and work with the airlines to get them down there. And again, this doesn't happen over two weeks. This happens probably three to four months before you leave. If you sign up for a GHO trip, you'll likely get an email and a call from me, and I usually will walk people through. Um, I have some cards up here later that you can email me. I have a PT, it's a PTOT handbook. It's a PDF file, so it has a lot of this information on there, and uh, so we'll make that available by email. So uh, one of the things you have to determine is when you get into the country, are you going to be able to transport all these supplies? Our teams go to uh, local places like in the Dominican Republic. We have a team from the church that shows up with a bus and a truck. We load all the stuff in there. They take it to the church and then eventually to the clinic. So we don't have to handle any of it, actually. Now, you may be on a trip to Nepal or a trip to Thailand where – you know, you're a day and a half just getting to where you're going to be, and you can't take 25 wheelchairs on your team or whatever it might be. So part of what you have to determine is what kind of practice am I going to be doing? You talk to the team leader ahead of time, and then what kind of things are needed in that area and what practically can be transported. There may be some specific. You may be going on, on a pediatric trip, and you don't need wheelchairs or you don't need certain types of equipment or whatever it might be. So doing this work ahead of time to really understand what kind of a clinic am I going to be working in and who am I going to be working with. Our clinics are basically set up in schools, and so we, the neighborhood shows up at the door the first day. We might have 300 people waiting at the door to get into the first day of the clinic. And so um, we're seeing all kinds, every, all ages, all types of diagnoses, um, including peds. So let's talk a little bit about wheelchairs. Um, generally, I spend most of my year gathering supplies, and I know there's a lot of people around me now in my church in my area who know that I take these things, and they'll call me when they find them at garage sales or whatever. Nursing homes are a great, great place to pick them up. People pass away, and they just stick them in a closet until somebody calls. So it's a great opportunity to get equipment if you're willing to do the work. And then as you're recruiting the team members, you may have people that are living all over the place in the country, and you ask them to do the same thing. Call the local nursing home, get a wheelchair secured. I'm going to show you how to wrap it, get it ready for transport. And so that's part of the work if you choose to do that as a therapist in organization. So this, again, is wrapped in a way to protect it. American Airlines doesn't charge most of us for checking a second bag as a wheelchair. They, they allow that to happen. Um, some of the other airlines aren't as gracious, but usually you can talk the gate agent into allowing that. You tell them this is a wrapped wheelchair. We're taking that uh, to help people. Um, just make sure when you, when you gather the wheelchair that everything's working and you have leg rests and you have arm rests because a lot of people will donate them, but a lot of times they're not working very well. So it's very important for you to 
have a working chair before you go because once you get down there, there's not going to be anybody to find parts for you or help you fix it. <clears throat> and then we take all, all types of different sizes in the wheelchairs from peds. Actually, last year we had two pediatric chairs, and we could have used about uh, ten of them. If anybody knows how, uh, I'm thinking that a friend of mine and I are going to design a uh, headrest apparatus that could be clamped onto the back of an adult wheelchair. Because very commonly what happens is we get a teenage CP child who comes into the clinic, has never had any mode of transportation. Their parent is carrying them. They're almost an adult size usually, and they've never walked. And so... The wheelchair is a great answer, but if they're too tall and their head goes over the back of the wheelchair, it's not nearly as functional. So we've had opportunities to try to make things work, but I think if we could manufacture something that could actually clasp onto the back of the chair and give a head support, that would be much better. Ideally, we'll get a number of pediatric chairs, a number of reclining chairs for certain patients, um, but it doesn't always happen that way. So the first thing we do is uh, I'm just going to go through a couple steps. There's a, more detail on this in the book, in the handbook, and then uh, a written explanation too. But bubble wrapping is the, ch the chair is the key. So we take the legs off, leg rests off, wrap them, put them in the seat, fold it up. I just buy bubble wrap from Walmart like that. It's about 16 bucks. That will wrap two chairs probably. And then some tape, clear packaging tape, which you'll eventually cover the whole chair with. So as we go, we just kind of wrap through, and I'm going to wrap the whole thing uh, completely until, except for the wheels. So we want to be able to push the, the uh, chair through the airport to get to the check-in, and we basically really have little trouble if it's wrapped this well with damage and shipping. There are some uh, that would prefer, like if you're, if you're shipping UPS, let's say, to transfer them one, one place, they want them in boxes. But many of the countries have cardboard um, exemptions, so you can't bring cardboard in the country. That's been experienced in the DR. So uh, basically this is the best way to do it that we found, at least in our experience. So that's kind of what it looks like. You can just uh, – I've got that whole thing covered just with clear packaging tape, which goes over the bubble wrap. Uh, you've already folded the chair up. You've taped the chair together. And, again, this is explained these are just some things that you can uh, take with you that might help you to understand how to do that. Again, this is available, will be available online, or I can email you the presentation. So this is step-by-step -step written out. Any questions on wheelchairs? So what if you have, like, a quick-release wheel? Do you, ever, do you have to, like, take that down? In case? Right, and, and armrests. I mean, that all becomes part of it, but, uh, yeah, with, the chip, with that, you need to just cover duct tape or something to keep that locked on. Yeah. Again, walkers, they're a, di a dime a dozen in many areas. I have those loaded in my basement, and they just keep showing up on my step at home. Somehow, magically, by the people in my church learn and just... That's all it takes. Uh, we can get those from nursing homes, hospitals, a variety. We haven't really had to pay for any equipment um, unless we have a shortage uh, any certain year. But anyway, this is one way to wrap walkers. So I take five walkers, and I fold them all up, and I put them together, and then uh, cl collapse all the uh, legs down except for the four corners that have wheels. This is obvious, obviously upside down. So that's kind of the way it looks before it's wrapped. And I tape and tie that together, and then I put a, a rope over the top so that you've got a handle on it. And then progressively we wrap it up, and it looks something like that. And you can roll that right up to the gate agent and say, I want to check this on as a second bag, and... We haven't had any rejections yet in 12 years. so, And we get five walkers in and one extra bag, basically. So, so we might take two or three sets of those on our trip with us. And this is the step-by-step. -step. 
it's easy to send that out, and people can just go by that as opposed to looking at the pictures. Canes and crutches and other items, again, this is kind of a progressive thing. If you wanted to be going each year or every two years and you just uh, told your area uh, DME rep, you know, I'll take all your extra your, all your extra knee braces, your ankle braces, all that kind of stuff once you get into a practice. I have uh, reps calling me saying we've got these old models. They're all brand new things, still wrapped, put in a box, whatever. I'd like to dump a box off at your office, and so they do that. And it's amazing the stuff that either is out of, uh, out of date, new models come in, they sit in a closet for five years, and all of a sudden they want to clean the closet out, and they've got all this extra stuff. Again, part of that is just other people knowing that you're interested. So crutches we put in a golf bag, one of the canvas golf bags, or if you have uh, longer, the adult, a large adult crutches, we'll wrap those in bubble wrap as well and then put a, a handle on them, and we check them in. And, again, American Airlines is real gracious regarding that. Um, if you don't have this kind of perpetual gifting that people just know about, then you can, through your church, through emailing, through your work, wherever you might be able to pick up some of these items uh, through the years and store them and then eventually take them on your trip. That's why kind of starting three or four or five months ahead of time when you know you're going on a trip next summer, you've signed up in January, it's good to get started on this and working with a team leader right away because it does take some time for that. <clears throat> And then we've had some clinics donate older sheets, towels, pillowcases. Those are always handy within the clinic. Um, and we actually, because we go back every year to the Dominican, the host church just washes those and cleans them and puts them back in the suitcase for us. So that's really nice. We don't have to transport that back and forth each year. Okay, so other things to think about that you're going to take along. And now these may be some of the things that you're going to get in your own suitcase or in a small suitcase adjacent. You know, So you might take a second suitcase with PT supplies and some of the other things of the clinic, whereas somebody else might get a wheelchair and walkers and crutches and whatever. So these are some of the things that can be uh, donated. Um, so if you're doing exercise sheets, you're going to take exercise sheets for instruction to leave with the patients. Uh, you want to find out, can I make copies once I get to the country? Because if you're making a bunch of copies, that's a heavy aspect to your load, and uh, it's better to take three or four copies of each and then have those uh, photographed, copied um, one year in the clinic by the church or whoever you're working with. So that's one thing to find out ahead of time. Can I make copies when I get down there? I don't have to take... 15, you know, copies of each of my exercise sheets. Uh, TheraBand and other exercise equipment, uh, braces. Uh, we usually just have a whole table full of stuff that we use. Uh, again, this is a cumulative thing year after year because we don't use everything that we take each year. They store it. And so uh, now after 10 or 12 trips, uh, we've got quite a stash of stuff down there, and they just bring it back out each year. Don't leave putty in a suitcase in a hot country. It kind of gets all over. Overhead pulleys are really easy to make. You don't have to buy those. You just buy a pulley at the hardware store with some rope. Uh, though that's pretty handy for some of the home visits. So we will take teams out with a therapist and a doctor and a pastor and a translator and go through some of the homes. And that's really kind of where you get to see where they live and what you can do to kind of adapt. Those are the people in the area that just are not well enough to come into the clinic, basically. Gate belts. Uh, about every time we go to Walmart shopping, I'll go into the travel section, and in the travel section is a, a board that has pillows and cushions and ba uh, bag tags and uh, luggage belts. And it's a 72-inch perfect gate belt or other type of treatment belt. It's four bucks or less, and so I just kind of stash those in with the groceries every time we go to Walmart. And uh, by the time we get down there, I've got a dozen belts to go with our on the trip. And then some of the other practical things you're gonna have to get if you got like we did last year. If you have 25 wheelchairs coming on your trip, you've got to get that bubble wrap and tape off. So razor blade knives, you've got four or five of those. You don't put those in your carry-on. You're not going to see them. 
a small toolkit, some duct tape, and some other types of things that might just help in the clinic. So for you, for you that are still thinking about a trip down the road, this is kind of a resource. This whole thing is kind of just you can visit in a year or two when you get ready for your trip type of thing. And uh, other personal items, uh, hand disinfectant is big in between each patient. Using that, fan and extension cord. If you're in an area that has electricity, I don't tolerate the heat very well. I don't know why I go on the July trip to the Dominican Republic, but that's the one that we can we go back on. Uh, we should go in January, right? Uh, crystal light along with your bottled water, so our host church supplies cold water for us. Uh, the frog togs, anybody know what a frog tog is? It's, a, it's like a little chamois thing. You get it at Walmart. You get it wet, and then you can put it over your neck, and it kind of keeps you cool. Usually we work in scrubs because you're gross and sweaty at the end of the day. And, uh, and closed-toed shoes for in therapy, we generally recommend. And then some snacks, energy bars between meals just to kind of keep you from getting hungry. So once you're in the clinic, you've got everything set up. Now, the lead, there's going to usually be a lead therapist, one with the most experience, one who's been on the trips before, possibly. You might be by yourself your first time. just depends. So basically, you're going to work with, uh, you're going to help manage, and this is part of the big picture that you will revisit in a year or two when you choose to go on a trip. Uh, so you're going to work with local pastors and doctors, uh, how, what happens when the wheelchair, you give a wheelchair to somebody in their home, that person passes away? Now, is that family inclined then to sell the wheelchair and make a profit out of it? If you work with a local pastor, the pastor may be aware of that situation and then be able to take that wheelchair and move it on to the next needy person so we're not losing the benefit of what we're trying to use with the wheelchairs. Um, you, as the head therapist or as the the PT in the clinic, you have to make some ethical decisions about who gets what because you know if you have 25, 25 wheelchairs, if you have five wheelchairs, you're going to have more than five people who are going to need those wheelchairs, right? So how do you prioritize who gets what wheelchair? And uh, so that often comes down to consulting with a doctor, but ultimately usually the head therapist or the therapist is in charge of that. Um, responsible for organizing and leading uh, other therapists in the clinic and then responsible for mentoring students or new therapists. So if you're an experienced therapist, it's great to have students and uh, young therapists along. We always try to have two PT students along with two or three PTs in our clinic. I went alone the first year in 2004, and I said I'm never going back by myself because it's too much, it's too hard to work, basically, in the heat. So you have patients, in our situation, you have patients constantly in line waiting to see you, and particularly if they hear that there's somebody in your clinic who's treating neck and back pain, then you've got people coming into the clinic by Wednesday morning saying, I want to see the, whoever's treating my back and neck pain. <clears throat> so uh, having students along, we usually try to, GHO does a great job on most of their trips of really trying to pull as many students in as possible. Uh, so communication with the other uh, medical providers, uh, working with a team leader, medical director. So we usually have a team leader and a medical director. And then in our situation, we have a head PT, a head of nursing, head of pharmacy. And um, so we all work together. We just happen to have the same people that come back every year. Most teams are not like that. They'll have a different person come in in leadership. Um, but communicating with the team leader, the doctors, helping them understand what supplies you have left. You're on Wednesday now, and you're down to three wheelchairs or whatever it might be. It's important for you to communicate in that way. And then uh, to work with the pastors, the local doctors. I've never run into a local therapist who's in that neighborhood because we're usually in some of the underserved uh, neighborhoods or barrios of Santo Domingo or We've traveled to Puerto Plata or some other areas where we do our clinics. And uh, usually we're so busy there, I haven't even really had the time to uh, find out what they have for PT schools, PTs. I, I know that some of the patients that come into the clinic, particularly the pediatric kids, 
in many uh, situations have a therapist that they see at the local state hospital or um, have seen therapists in the past. And sometimes when you're seeing a pediatric patient, I'm not a pediatric specialist. I know some basic things from my training. I'm going to apply those to this child, whatever this child needs, as far as developmental types of things, range of motion, progression, whatever it is. Educate the family. And then sometimes all they want to hear is that what they're getting at their local hospital is uh, a good thing from what an American therapist would evaluate at that level. So sometimes it's just saying you're doing a wonderful job with this child and just, you know, keep up. Here's a couple other suggestions for you maybe, that type of thing. So this is an example of our clinic at uh, Santo Domingo or at uh, Puerto Plata. So we traveled from Santo Domingo about three hours to Puerto Plata. This is actually a church. So these are the uh, classrooms, and then that's the worship sanctuary area, um, the flat building on the left, and that's actually where they ran the dental clinic while we were there. So we didn't have any place to store these except out in the sun. Eventually they brought in some tarps to cover them up. Well, I think we had 22 wheelchairs there, and this just gives you an idea of kind of the mass uh, ability to bring this much along. And, and you know, there's hardly ever a year that we don't use every all the the wheelchairs and assistive devices. Uh, we have braces and stuff that kind of continues each year, but so all of this stuff was given out. And so you kind of have to be a wheelchair Nazi a little bit because otherwise, what happens is all the chairs are gone by Tuesday. You know, and so are they all gone to the right people and to the people who um, need them the most? So um, our team takes students and family members. So, you know, we might have a mother and a father who are providers, and then they bring their teenage kids or whatever it might be. So we put them to work in many different areas, including pharmacy, therapy, and so on. So this is kind of what a typical clinic area that we're running it looks like. We do have some treatment tables. We've purchased uh, massage tables, uh, and so we have those each year when we go back. So that's really a nice thing. You, you probably won't have that. You might not have that, particularly if your clinic is moving and you're just using, uh, you know, um, other types of tables uh, for treatment. So we have found that the wheelchair ministry is really, really big, and taking uh, wheelchairs uh, really changes family lives. Again, think of that lady who weighs 120 pounds, and she's carrying her 90-pound child into the clinic and has been ch carrying this child for 17 years and no access to any transportation for that child other than carrying them around. Uh, so... Um, we try to make whatever we've taken fit the best. We try to choose the best thing for each patient. It's not, uh, it's not prescribed, obviously, but um, we do what we can do with that. Um, very common things that we see in the clinic are people who have been injured in motorcycle accidents. In, the, in many of these countries, they, run, they drive the small motor scooters around, and they get hit by buses and other big things, and... In this case, this guy, uh, you can see as a, a below elbow prosthesis on the right. This was actually in the military clinic. We were invited to work with uh, the Dominican military, and uh, so we, they have some medical care, but it's not probably as good as it could be. And so uh, one, uh, two week, two years, we spent three days out of the five in the military clinic seeing. So this guy is. Um, he has an outrigger uh, set up on a fractured proximal tibia, as you can see there, and kind of working with that. He had just been back to the doctor to have the pins removed, and he told him to come back in a month. He'd already had it on for five months. So you can imagine what the rehab might be for that type of thing. These are not unusual things, stuff you will never see in the U.S. So this guy's walking around with, uh, you know, a below elbow amputate, using crutches and non-weight bearing on his left foot. <clears throat> so again, PT supplies, what we do is we'll take some pillowcases and take the bubble wrap off the wheelchairs and put those in the pillowcases. So we have pillows in the clinic. We have 
um, other sheets and towels that we use, um, and then just a lot of braces and stuff. And a lot of times it's kind of interesting how the Lord provides just certain things for certain people, and it just works out. And when you're packing, you don't really know. I mean, you don't know what you're going to see. So you take what you can, what you've got space for, um, and try not to duplicate too much if you have that. Um, so, again, the wheelchair thing. Uh, we, uh, we treat through translators, and most of the translators are high school students from the Christian school affiliated with the church that we work with. So that's going to be different in every trip that you go on. But these kids, um, if you want to call them kids, they're, uh, they are bilingual and really good, and they pick up the medical stuff very fast. And uh, it's just amazing how well that goes when you can translate. You develop great relationships with your translators, with your door monitors, those who are keeping everybody from in the world coming into your room while you're trying to treat a patient, uh, trying to keep the chaos down to a certain level. <coughs> so each, each year you're going to have a different team, and sometimes you'll be by yourself, sometimes you'll have another therapist, you have a PTA, you have... PT students or pre-PT students, uh, you can kind of make a whole clinic out of it. Get a lot of help from those other people, people who are coming on the trip with you. So in this case, we had uh, we had three PT, uh, three PTs. We have a, we had an interventional sports medicine DO, PM&R specialist. So he was doing uh, ultrasound guided injections. So that was kind of special. And then a few other students, and a PT assistant who was doing a lot of the um, exercises for one therapist. They work together in a clinic. So, and then translators. So there's four, three translators in there that are helping us too. So this is usually what you'll see at the beginning when you drive up in the bus. So our church has prepared the school. They've cleaned everything up. You know, school's out, so they disinfect it as much as they can. They get the tables ready. Um, there's as many as 150 volunteers from the church who help with the clinic each year. They give up one week of vacation to come and help run the clinic. And uh, so they're translators, door monitors. They do security. They do uh, check-in and registration. They do crowd control. Um, and so... It's not uncommon for us. The busiest clinic we've ever had was 700 patients a day for five days in our clinic. And that's medical, dental, therapy, nursing, and the whole thing. So the, t the, the thing I like about the model is they come in, they get registered, they kind of sit and wait, then they go to triage. The nurses determine their vitals. Why are they there? Uh, who do you want to see? What's your, what's your main issue? We're supposed to only see them for one thing, and then they're supposed to get in line again for the second thing. We kind of cheat on that, though. Um, so if I see some guy who needs some dental care and I've just worked with his neck, then I'll send him up to dentistry and he can wait in line. Dentistry usually is the slowest and the hardest, so they have a limited number of dental patients they can see every day, and so they usually give out numbers for the next day so people come back uh, for that. <clears throat> so it depends on how many providers you have, obviously. Um, once they've been seen, uh, they may – we uh, – in our situation, we work with the doctors. We actually uh, give out some of the anti-inflammatories and Tylenol so they don't have to go back to pharmacy, which, again, is a big clog in the system, so people are waiting to have prescription filled. Um, and so we kind of work that way very closely with the doctor. We might even have a doctor within our treatment room, possibly, depending upon the size of the, of the school rooms. Um, so generally the clinic schedule is 9 to 5, uh, and we have a break for about an hour for lunch. And, uh, again, all of these uh, trips are going to be a little bit different depending upon the need and where you are and, and the, the team leader and the medical director and so on. So a typical nine-day trip is uh, Saturday. Everybody's flying to get there, and you may see may link up with some of the team in Miami and fly into the Dominican Republic together. Uh, we get to the hotel. We go to church the next day. Uh, reacquainted with all the people in the, in the Oasis Church that we minister with, and then we set up the clinic usually um, on Sunday and then start Monday morning, and we work five days in the clinic. And then a couple nights, we might, we might go to church one night. We might have some CME. We, might, we always have a, uh, a, a devotional and uh, worship time before we get on the bus, 
And then oftentimes in the evening we have kind of a, a God sighting type of time where we can kind of share what we've seen that day. And then uh, there's usually a, a debriefing on Friday night or Saturday. Saturday is usually a day of R&R. We might go to a local beach or something like that, and then Sunday we fly home. So again, we want to make sure we're practicing within our expertise levels, um, and we're pretty pretty particular on the field that we're not letting non-trained people. So we don't let therapists pull teeth. We don't let you know uh, people who aren't trained give injections. You know, it's not you're not there practicing. You want to keep this level of care as good or better than what you do in the U.S. Basically. Want to educate patients to regarding long-term management of their condition. So, again, what are the things that are going to last? If you think of yourself and what you're being trained or how you practice as a therapist, what are the things that last? You know, if you see one patient for 20 minutes and you're never going to see them again, what is the thing that you can give them? So, the two things, and I did a I did a talk last year on. Um, treating with limited resources. And so I came to the conclusion that uh, education and exercise are the two things that will last, can last forever. A wheelchair falls apart, even though that's great for a while. Exercise, uh, exercise equipment um, or other types of assistive devices and braces, they'll all wear out. Um, if you can make a patient better with exercise and helping them to understand what their condition is and how to treat that and how to make it better, those are the two things, basically, that you can leave with them. So for you PTs, I'm not sure about OTs, but for you PTs who are early in your career, highly recommend the McKenzie approach because the McKenzie gives you a system of understanding what you're treating. It's not just for spine anymore. Uh, the extremities respond extremely well to the mechanical treatment, diagnosis and treatment. I would highly recommend taking Part A, which is lumbar spine. It gets you into the understanding of what can I do? What is the system like? You don't really learn the system in the first thing, but you're exposed to four days of the McKenzie approach. And the second one is then the cervical and then the advanced C and D and then eventually the extremity course. So they've combined extremities in parts C and D now. So C is cervical and upper thoracic and upper extremity, and D is then lumbar advanced and lower extremity. I don't know where I would go with people if I didn't have that, to be honest with you. So we can do manipulation. We can do hands-on stuff. But one visit you know, might get them started on something, but you've got to give them something that they can continue on their own. And then training the patient's families as well, whether it be a peds patient or um, an, an elderly person who needs some help around the house or just whatever it might be. So when you're considering what you're going to take for handouts, not only exercise but explanation, the nice thing, again, about the McKenzie is he's got, they've got the treat your own neck and treat your own back in Spanish. So that's great for us. That's the only language they've translated it in. But pictures are good. So if you're not going to a Spanish-speaking country, you can always take the pictures along. Again, this is just a review. Pretty much you know all of this. Uh, these are the types of patients you're going to run into probably. Highly, high majority of most of these are going to be back and neck pain, shoulder pain. I heard all over pain, uh, knee pain. Uh, so orthopedic or musculoskeletal types of medicine is the stuff where you're going to be using most of your time. You're going to get a variety of the other ones. You're going to get some geriatrics. Uh, they carried this guy into the clinic. Can we borrow a wheelchair so you can just get from one place to the next? That's a patient you're going to probably see and issue a wheelchair to. Um, so stroke, uh, Parkinson's, spinal cord. In pediatrics, CP is very common. Or my child was normal until six months. They had a high fever for two days, and now they don't function well at all. So that's the the oftentimes look like CP, but they are actually normal up to that point. Uh, less common is uh, wound care and amputees. So we've uh, run into a variety of those. There's just a lot of unusual cases that you would no most commonly not see, um, unless maybe you're working uh, Chicago Med or something in the ER and you're seeing all kinds of stuff come in that way. But 
<clears throat> so post-trip responsibilities. If you want to take some leadership in this, uh, and let's say you've been doing this for a while now and you have some students and other younger therapists along, here's what you can do afterwards. So we, we like to seek feedback from the therapists, the team leaders. How can we make PT and OT work better? What, what are the things that kind of got in the way? What are the good things? We want to have some feedback regarding that and, and really understand how do we grow this. And I'm going to talk a little bit at the end here about what are we doing with allied health and PT and OT regarding um, the progression of that in, in short-term and long-term missions. Um, communication with organiz organizations' leadership regarding suggestions, uh, talking to the local pastors, the pastor of the church, uh, the local doctors. We oftentimes work with Dominican doctors and dentists. Uh, so in that case, how can we serve you better, do more? What kind of patients should we prepare for better? That kind of thing. Uh, be available as a, as a leader to consult other therapists who are thinking about going on a trip. Share your experiences, however that might be. And then... Uh, Encourage uh, teams to read the post-trip devotions. When you go on a GHO trip, you get a, you get a devotional manual for preparation and for post-trip coming home. How do I now get back into my culture, my job, my practice, uh, and not have that post-trip down time when I'm really feeling like nobody seems to understand, nobody cares, all the things I've learned? And now I just get back, and life seems to be going like normal, and that's not good. But uh, I do have a book I would recommend. It's not related to therapy directly, but When Helping Hurts is just a great eye-opener for, uh, if you're interested, it's available at the CMDA bookstore. Uh, it's done by two guys who just really understand uh, the uh, process of helping uh, people without making them, uh, number one, worse off, number two, uh, emotionally and mentally beat up because uh, you have this God complex and you're coming in, you're going to save the world, and you leave, and they're actually in worse shape than when you came. It's a, it's a small synopsis of a, of a larger book, but uh, excellent read for anybody who's considering short-term missions and long-term missions. Very important about how we do that the right way. Okay, so um, potential barriers. So what happens when I get there and things don't work out so well? What could I have anticipated ahead of time that might get in the way of this functioning the way I would like it to? Um, lack of understanding of the team leadership and how a PT fits into the team trip. We're talking about, you know, how does the whole allied health PTOT thing work with the teams that go out, the missions that go out, and so... Uh, that sit-down talk on the way there with the team leader, the medical director, if they aren't familiar with how PT and OT fit in, really important to say, this is where I feel comfortable practicing. These are the types of patients I'd like to see. So a barrier is that that team leader and the clinic system doesn't actually move patients to you. Um, so a lack of resources, let's say you can't get the supplies and equipment that you need. Uh, again, if you're working hard enough at a time praying about it, the Lord provides many of those things. But it is work. You know, you have to get on the phone. You have to go to the nursing home, pick up the stuff. You have to get the wheelchairs wrapped up, all that kind of stuff. Uh, one of the barriers would be you're not confident with what's happening. So it's good. To, I think it's good for your first trip. Get on a team where you've got an experienced therapist to work under. You can see what the system looks like, what it happens. Go as a student. You can learn what it means really to uh, work under not only a therapist, but work on somebody who's done this a few times. You start to understand that a little bit. And then if you have team members that aren't willing to be part of the process of gathering equipment and doing all of that stuff, that's also another barrier where make phone calls, I'm too busy, my life is whatever, and I can't really help here. We seldomly run into that. Usually once you talk, start talking to the mother who's a pediatrician, bringing their two sons on the trip, yeah, we'll get involved, we'll get three wheelchairs, you take care of that, I'll send you the information, how to wrap them, that kind of thing. Another thing is the location type of medical clinic. You know, if you have three flights, a train ride, a bus ride, and then you're on, on 
uh, horseback for five days to get to your clinic, you're going to have a hard time getting wheelchairs there. So uh, that will limit it. Lack of understanding of the, of the needs for the potential patients. So that's the other thing is um, you need to understand through the team leader what's, what, is, um, what you're going to be doing, what, who you're going to be seeing, what likely will be your patient caseload. <clears throat> so in conclusion, uh, the need is significant. We, have, we need to grow this uh, every year, uh, more and more uh, people getting involved. We need to do that through students and through schools, through PT and OT schools, and get people started early and get internships and all of that kind of stuff going as fast as possible. Um, the donated supplies and equipment are readily accessible. That's, that's a fact. Um, and you, if you work hard enough, you can usually find anything you need. Therapists serve an important part of these teams, and um, the earlier you start, the better, whether it be in preparation for a trip or earlier in life. So I started when I was about 50. I wish I would have started earlier. The Lord, for some reason, didn't have that happen. But um, you get in that habit of taking a trip every year or two, and uh, you just think year after year how that's going to benefit so many more people. We have a lot to share as therapists, a lot of good things to help people with. And it's really important for us, I think, to grow that and get more and more people involved. You know, we send out 50 trips a year, and I don't know that half of them have even one therapist on it. So uh, just in GHO, there's a great potential for recruitment and bringing in people. <clears throat> so I got the sign in the back that I have 10 minutes or less. And let me tell you one story. I've got a bunch I could tell, but this is one story. We were working um, in a place called San Cristobal, and it's a suburb of, uh, of Santo Domingo. And we were working out of a, uh, an old music school that had been destroyed by a hurricane that had come in. That whole area had been very affluent at one time. And when the hurricane came in, it really destroyed everything. So it was basically the typical barrio of very low um, income levels, and um, the guy on the left was a, uh, nine, the, now this is his story, 95-year-old. He had a 27 children with the same woman. His wife had passed away. I guess we can figure that out, why she might have. He came in to see me on Thursday and uh, said, uh, I treated him for back pain, and once we got that cared for, then he asked me uh, if he could have a wheelchair for his son. His son on the right here, the uh, one sitting, had fallen out of a fruit tree 20 years earlier. It was now 60 years old, but he had had a spinal cord injury. Okay, So he, his 95-year-old dad was the only one who had been caring for him, even though he had 27, 26 brothers and sisters. I don't know how many of those were still living. So at that point, all the, all the wheelchairs would be given out. I had nothing left, um, and, of course, I felt terrible about it. So... Um, I didn't bother to write his, his name was written down, but his address wasn't because I knew we could bring one back sometime for him. So um, on Friday at noon, they said, we want to do one more trip out into the community, and we want to take one more uh, team out and do a home visit. And so we went out, we visited three homes, and the last home was this home. So at that point, I knew where we could bring a chair back. That was the year that my daughter was actually coming back to teach she moved down there and taught for three years. So she and my wife, after we got back from the trip, in a month turned around and went back down, and they, they took two chairs along and were able to provide him with a chair. Now, the most interesting thing that made an impression on me is that you can see he, uh, when they first got there, he's sitting in a wooden chair, which is all he had, there were grooves in the cement floor from his dad dragging the chair from the bedroom to the main room all those years. So I'm sure they went through many chairs in that process. But <clears throat> So that was a pretty special trip for us, and you can tell a million different stories. If you're working in a place that you can put up a picture or two, maybe in your practice room, wherever you do, that's kind of cool because people come in, they start asking questions, and uh, maybe or around your office, uh, around your desk, your work area. Put a few pictures up. Okay, so I've got five minutes for questions, and then we can spend a few minutes for those who want to stick around talking a little bit more about PTOT. Yep. Can we uh, bring a wheelchair 
Yeah, it'd be interesting to have a video because sometimes we have, well, have a, we had a pediatrician one time, and her husband was an engineer, and they came, came on the trip together. And so he's working. We're working in the clinic, and it's really busy, and he's spending two hours trying to get this chair ready for this kid, you know. So we take other parts, and we take straps, and we do, you know, those Walmart straps are great because they hold patients in the chair and things like that. You know, if you're, an, if you're a wheelchair specialist, it's probably a frustra- frustrating nightmare to work in that situation because I don't know if there's any chairs that fit exactly right. But, you know, God has given you a certain number of chairs. He's given you patience. You try to make the best thing work. Um, so we may have other padding, other things that we've brought along. You may take a, you know, a strap off or use a brace, cut a brace open, whatever it might be, just to make certain things happen the right way. Yeah. 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 It's not ideal, certainly, uh, very seldomly, um, and but it is like 90% better than what they had. So, which is usually nothing. So, yeah. If you have someone who comes to you with like 20 years of low back pain or something, how do you make a dent in one sitting? Well, you know, as you learn the McKenzie thing, I've treated a lot of patients, even in my own clinic who have long-term chronic issues that are mechanical. So if they're mechanical in nature, they get this episodic pain that comes and goes. Uh, Oftentimes, just when you establish, again, learning the system, understanding a direction of preference, that there's a way you can take them through. You talk them through the program, through the progression of how they, they advance that. You help educate the family. And then you send them on their way. And it's a process they have to be part of, you know, and that's the important part. I don't, you know, there's no way we could research to find out what the outcomes are. It's just, it's not going to happen. But with the Lord's blessing and the understanding, the education, and the exercise, you've given them what you can in 20 minutes, basically. Yes? Yeah, that's all part of the education. And so, you know, having handouts in their language is really important uh, that they can, some of them can't read, but they have somebody in the house that can, and they can read it to them. Yes. We do some of the off-the-shelf ones, but we haven't actually fit them down there. Um, and, you know, as far as casting and things like bracing that OTs might do, um, we'd certainly be open to that. There's sometimes we have electricity, and you might be able to somehow heat something up and form it and cut it and make it work. Normally, we don't have that available. But we'll take old braces, and sometimes they work perfectly. Um, you know, it's just amazing how uh, an AFO might fit somebody perfectly to help them with, you know, a stroke situation or whatever. So, <clears throat> all right. Anything else? Yep. Bob. Sure. Absolutely. <clears throat>
As you can see, if you've been through the exhibit hall, there's all kinds of possibilities. Um, and sometimes uh, they're already using PTs and OTs, and sometimes they're not, and they, and they may have to grow into that as an organization. We're still growing as GHO, even though I've been working with them for 11 years. Um, we still don't have a, a therapist on every team, and we, I'm waiting for them to call me and put me to work full-time in Bristol, and just like they have... Uh, one of the PAs. So, um, but money's tight in missions, as you know, in organizations, and so um, right now I'll continue to do it as a volunteer. All right. Well, thanks for your attention. Appreciate it. If you have any questions, uh, I've got some. I'll put some cards up here. Um, has my email. I'd be happy to um, email the GHO uh, handbook too, which is a lot of this, and then you can pick this. Uh, Pick this off the website after they post it here in the next few days. So, <clears throat> thanks for your attention. Appreciate it.